Good morning. I don't want to be melodramatic this morning, but um, I believe that this may be the most important message I have ever preached here at Deep Springs Baptist Church. And uh, God, the Lord confirmed this to me this morning that uh, that I'm on the right track with what I'm preaching today. And I love it when He does that, and uh, and I thank I'm so thankful too that I have a a music minister who flows with the spirit and uh, we we rarely if ever confer with one another during the week about what I'm going to preach about but somehow some way the Holy Spirit always seems to uh, to have us in perfect harmony I love you all right um, let me get my pen off the floor here we've been having issues with our live feed on Facebook and I don't know if we've been uh, if some algorithm has blocked us or what so we may have to find some other platform. And if they have blocked me uh, up until now, they really ain't going to like what I'm going to say today. <laughs> I'm just going <laughs> to. This is no holds barred, unvarnished truth. I'm not going to be cute today. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the word of God. Lord, I sense your presence. This is Pentecost Sunday. This is the birthday of the church, Lord. And Lord, I do want to just acknowledge that, Lord. I'm so thankful that the Holy Spirit came on that day of Pentecost. Thankful that he saved my soul, filled my soul. Thankful for his presence here today. I acknowledge you, Holy Spirit. Love you. Love you, Father. I love you, Jesus. Blessed Trinity. God, today let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Hide me behind the cross. Let my words be concise and clear that I may not go beyond what is written. And I just trust you with the outcome. I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> now, there are a lot of people who would say, why should we even talk about the end times? Why? Uh, that, that's all pie in the sky stuff. Why should we even deal with it? Well, for one thing, it's God's word. Uh, over a quarter of the word of God is prophecy. Think about that. Over a quarter of the Bible is prophecy. There were 300 prophecies, uh, over 300 prophecies concerning the first coming of Christ. Over 500 concerning the second. Now, you might, might ask the question, why? Why so many about the second coming? Well, when Christ came the first time, it was to bring salvation. When he comes the second time, he's bringing judgment, the wrath of God for those that don't believe. And I believe God wants us to, uh, to, to be prepared. Now, you know me. I am devoted, and as long as I live, if God will help me, to the verse-by-verse -verse teaching of Scripture, both the Old and the New Testament, rightly dividing the word of truth. So um, something you may not know about me is some 20-something years ago, I started a, uh, a website, an end times prophecy website. I ran it for several years. It got to be just too much for me to maintain. But I, I was partnered together with a, a gentleman named Dr. David Reagan. Some of you may have heard of him. You may have seen him on television. He's based out of Texas, and uh, he still has a ministry called Lamb Lion Ministries. He has a weekly radio broadcast called Christ in Prophecy. And uh, some of what I'm sharing with you today 
is based off of uh, what he, he compiled in a book called Living on Borrowed Time. And so I want to give him due credit for that. He's a dear friend. He's, uh, he's 82 years old. He's no longer uh, doing speaking engagements or else I'd have him to come preach to you. But as your shepherd, I'm honored to be able to share the word of God with you. If we could go to the first slide here. <coughs> By the way, <coughs> since we don't have the live feed uh, available, and I want you to be able to pay attention. I know some of you like to take notes, and if you're a quick note taker, that's fine. Uh, if you want the PowerPoint today, you just email the church office, and we'll get you a copy of the PowerPoint. So it, I don't want you to be uh, so worried about taking notes that you can't pay attention. Uh, but if you can take quick notes and you want to, then by all means do that. Now, some people would say, um, um, why even talk about this? And, and here's, what, here's where the church uh, in his, historically has gone wrong. Guys go to uh, great lengths trying to predict when the Lord's coming back. And because of that, a lot of people have become kind of glazed over. Uh, and they don't want to hear about it because so many people have predicted and have predictions don't come to pass. And the reason is because Jesus said in Matthew 24 that no man knows the day or the hour. Nobody does. Jesus, I believe, now this is just Henry, this is not Bible. I believe the Lord will come in my lifetime if God lives, allows me to live a, a long, healthy life. But he might come after, long after I'm dead and gone. Okay, So don't leave out of here and say, Henry said Jesus was coming back on the Feast of Trumpets in 2021, something like that. Because no man knows the day or the hour. But people use that as an excuse not to talk about the coming of the Lord. But the scripture says that's the reason we are to watch because we don't know the day or the hour. It would be like someone saying the bridge is going to be out two miles down the road and somebody say, we really don't want to talk about that because we don't want to interrupt your smooth ride. You know, how foolish would that be, right? Not only would it be foolish, it would be irresponsible. It would be reckless to just let that person go on not knowing what lies ahead. Now, in, in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul says to these believers now, he says, the day of the Lord comes as a thief in the night. Okay? When you hear that expression, day of the Lord, it's referring to that tribulation period, that, that seven-year period. And I don't have time to debate the times of the rapture. We got a whole... Uh, bunch of videos on YouTube check them out on our YouTube channel about when the rapture occurs the, and, and all that timeline and all that stuff I'm not going to argue and, and spend time about that this morning but people will say well the day of the Lord comes as a thief in the night so there's no way we can know what's going on but notice what Paul says but you brethren Christian now who's he coming as a thief on the night to the world the ones who don't know what on earth is going on the ones who are oblivious to the signs of the times. But he says, but you, brethren, are not in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief. Let me tell you, Jesus Christ is not coming on the church like a thief. You know how I know that? Because I'm standing here telling you this morning, and he told me to. To tell you to wake up because you're living. We're not living, we're not looking for the, uh, the signs of the times. We're living in the times of the signs. Hebrews 10.25 the writer of Hebrews says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. You know, there's always been some folk that didn't care anything about attending church, even back in the days of the Bible. Now is not the time to not make church a priority. 
I'm just telling you. Now is not the time to say, oh, well, I don't need the church. But exhorting one another, the Greek word is parakaleo, it means to encourage and to comfort. It's very similar to the Greek word for the Holy Spirit, the parakletos. Parakaleo. Let me ask you, have you encouraged someone today? Have you comforted someone today? That's what our gathering together is supposed to be. It's not to be to come together and fuss and fight about the preacher or the, uh, the, the songs that we sing or the color of the carpet or any of that other stuff. We're here to study the word of God together, to pray for one another, and to encourage one another. And so much more, notice he says, as you see the day approaching. What day? Well, if you go on to read, he talks about the day of judgment. The day of the Lord is coming, and as we can see it coming, we are to be encouraging each other all the more, not less. Matthew 24, 33. Jesus said, so likewise, when you shall see. See what? The signs. When you shall see all these things, know that it is. Can you know when the Lord's coming is near? God said so. It doesn't matter what the preacher says. Jesus Christ said, when you see all these things. Now, here's the, here's the real issue. Here's the crux of the matter. The majority of Matthew 24, which is what we call the Olivet Discourse, Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21, the majority of that is talking about the tribulation period. And we here at Deep Springs Baptist Church, we don't believe that the church is going to go through the tribulation period. There may be some of you here that do, but you're wrong if you believe that. <laughs> and I'll prove it to you if you got, you know, a minute or an hour or two. We don't believe that. So what I'm saying to you is, if you can see the signs of the tribulation, how much closer then is the coming of the Lord? Coming events cast their shadows before them. Okay. Amos 3, 7. says, Surely the Lord God will do nothing, but he reveals his secret unto his servants, the prophets. Here's the deal, folks. God always warns his people before judgment. The, Noah. We'll talk about him in a moment. But Noah, Jesus said as it was in the days of Noah. Did the flood take Noah by surprise? Nope. Nope. God said about 120 years, Noah, and this thing is going to be wrapping up, start building. How many of you have been to the, the ark encounter? Some, I know some folks in our church have. And it's like this massive structure that Noah built. And the reason he did that is because God warned him. The book of Hebrews chapter 11 says, Noah moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his household. What about uh, Lot? Jesus said as it was in the days of Lot. We'll talk a little more about that in just a minute. Did, did Sodom and Gomorrah happen? Now, it kind of took Lot by surprise. Did you know somebody it didn't take by surprise? Abraham. You ever read that account in Genesis where God comes and visits with Abraham? And, and Sarah laughs when, when God says you're going to have a baby. And there's, That's such a great story there. But, but then God says... Shall I hide from Abraham this thing that I do? And then when he begins to talk about the destruction of the cities of the plain. And that's when you've got this dialogue between Abraham and God. Remember, Abraham said, if you can find 50, will you spare the city? If you can find 45, 40, 30, 20, gets down to 10 and not even 10 righteous people. Sodom and Gomorrah kind of came on lot by surprise. Why? Because he's like a lot of Christians, so wrapped up in the culture, don't see the signs of the times going on. But Abraham was a friend of God. 
And Abraham was not taken by surprise, and Abraham interceded for the city. And, and you may have never thought about this before, but you remember where Lot fled to? He fled to this little place called Zoar. And because Abraham prayed, that city was spared. Zoar was spared. Are you praying for your city? Are you praying for your nation? You ought to be. You're praying for our world. Let's go to the next slide. God has a precedent of revealing scripture. All right. We've, we've broken these into six basic signs. Okay. The first one is signs of nature. Now, we might bust some myths this morning. Is that okay? Because there's a lot of stuff people think is in the Bible and ain't in the Bible. I hear people say things like, well, it says in the Bible you won't be able to tell the seasons from one another. That is nowhere in the Bible. You probably said it, hadn't you? Some of you are like, oh, gosh, how did he know? <laughs> That's not in the Bible. However, the Bible does predict that there will be catastrophic weather. There will be uh, climate change. I, and I'm not talking about political things here. We're not talking about fossil fuels and, and, and all that kind of stuff and electric cars. But the Bible does predict climate change. But it's a God thing. It's not a man thing. The book of Revelation says that the sun will be so hot it will scorch men. It'll be, it'll be hot. For nations shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There shall be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in diverse places. Even Bill Gates, I was doing some research last night. Even Bill Gates, I think he's like one of the top billionaires in the world. You know, he's top five, maybe the second wealthiest person in the world. Anyway, even Bill Gates said that coronavirus is nothing compared to what's coming. That's somebody don't believe in God. Let me tell you what, folks, this coronavirus stuff, this, is a, this ain't nothing but a, a dress rehearsal for what's to come. That's the truth. Coronavirus, now, coronavirus is not predicted in the Bible necessarily unless it's part of those pestilences that speaks of. Pestilences are these diseases for which there's no cure. We talk about a vaccine. I know a lot of you guys got, I'm not pro-vax or anti-vax, okay? Take all that off the table. You, every man has to follow his own conscience in that. That's a Romans 14 thing. Where the Bible doesn't speak, we exercise grace to one another. And we, we, you know, we respect each other's decisions. But I'll tell you this, this, this thing is going to come year after year after year after year after year. And eventually, what's going to happen is you're not going to be able to do anything unless you can show proof of vaccination. Because there's going to be more and more pestilences coming. And that's all well and good as long as the government has your best interest at heart. But how many of you know the government don't have your best interest at heart? They've already got mountains of data collected on you. That's why when you log into your social media, you see ads targeted to the various things that you've searched on the Internet and the various things that you've purchased. It's because there's a, there's a, there's a trail. This little thing we carry around with us everywhere. It listens to us. It records us. You ever been talking about something, and all of a sudden you'll, it'll show up in your phone? The very thing that you're talking about? It's no accident. It's all leading in this way. Pestilences. Earthquakes in diverse places. Now, Jesus said these are the beginning of sorrows. The word in the Greek is it's birth pangs, really. You know anything about birth pangs? I know a little bit about it because my daughter just gave birth. <laughs> I don't know about it. I know about it by proxy. <laughs> I need to clarify that. Some woman's like, you don't know anything about it, young man. <clears throat> Here's the thing about labor pains. As you get closer to the time of delivery, they become more frequent and more intense. Coronavirus is a dress rehearsal for what's coming. 
Jesus also said in Luke 21, 25, there'll be signs in the sun and the moon and stars and upon the earth distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring. All right, signs of nature. Let's go to the next sign. Signs in society. Oh, boy. Here's where we're going to get the algorithms going to catch up with us. Jesus said, Matthew 24, 12, because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall grow cold or wax cold. The Greek word for iniquity is anomia. It means lawlessness. Lawlessness. That's why there's all these cries for defunding the police. Get rid of the police. That is the spirit of Antichrist because he is the spirit of lawlessness. The number one way not to get shot by the police is don't commit crimes in the first place. And then when you're told to, to stop and comply, comply. And if you'll do that, it ain't going to happen. But these liberal groups who are pushing this agenda are following their leader, Antichrist, the spirit of Antichrist. And I know this because it says in 2 Thessalonians 2, 7, the mystery of lawlessness. You know what the word is there? Anomia. Same word Jesus said because anomia would increase. Love would grow cold. Because lawlessness is already at work. You're seeing it on the news every night. Only he who now restrains until, and will do so until he's taken out of the way. Guess who that he is? It's the Holy Spirit in the church. And one day we're going out of here. And when we go out of here, you think it's bad now. It's going to be hell on earth. Because the salt of the world and the light of the world will be in the New Jerusalem with the Savior. And we see it every time there's a crisis. And I say crisis kind of tongue-in-cheek, right? Every time some natural disaster, what happens? People start looting and burning and stealing. Every time they, the media says, there's going to be a gas shortage, but don't panic. And then everybody's filling up plastic bags with gasoline. And what in the world are you going to do with it when you get it in a plastic bag? <laughs> God forbid somebody, you know, flips the cigarette near where you're standing. Matthew 24, 37. But as the days of Noah were, so also would the coming of the Son of Man be. Right? Now, the sign of the Son of Man will be just like the sign of uh, the days of Noah. Okay? The people of Noah's day were completely unaware of what was going on. Right until the time the flood came and took them all away. Now, what was the days of Noah like? We don't have to guess. Genesis chapter 6, verse 11 tells us, In the days of Noah, the earth was filled, was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. There was sexual immorality, and the earth was filled with violence. Does that sound familiar? You know what the Hebrew word for violence is there? It's Hamas. The earth was also corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with Hamas, with violence. Now, I'm not saying, you know, I'm not saying these, these folks, so-called Palestinians, and that's another debate for another time, are the fulfillment of that. But I'm just saying this. The earth is filled with violence, and it's filled with sexual immorality. The LGBTQ community, let me just speak here. And I want to thank someone in here a few weeks ago. They texted me on a Sunday morning and said, thank you for preaching with conviction and compassion. And that's my goal. I want to speak with conviction and with compassion here. There's probably ne'er a soul in this place that is not impacted some way by the LGBT community, whether it be our families, uh, extended families, loved ones, friends, coworkers, whatnot. 
But I'm going to tell you this. Sexual immorality is wrong. I don't care how the standards change, how cultural norms change. Fornication is wrong. That's any sex outside of marriage. The Greek word is pornea, by the way, and that includes all that filthy pornography that the Christians are looking at, supposedly in secret. God sees everything. Pornography, fornication, adultery is still a sin. Homosexuality is still a sin. Transgenderism, let me tell you. The Bible says in the beginning, God made two genders. He made them male and female. I was watching a video the other day. They were interviewing this kid on a college campus. Lori watched it with me. And they were interviewing all these kids about uh, how many genders are there. And they were like, oh, I don't know, maybe like 60 different ones. 70. Well, 73 was what? 72. There's two genders. And that gender that you're born with is the, is, defines the bathroom you need to go to. And listen to me. This is real world stuff here. I'm preaching with compassion and conviction. Because I've got people in my own family that are wrestling with this stuff. And I'm praying for them to come out of it. Because it's not of God. You say, well, my little kid, my little boy, he likes to play with mom's dresses and, and, and her, let's put on her high heels. Maybe he identifies as a female. He's not old enough to make that decision for himself. Any more than I would give a six-year-old the keys to a car and say, if you feel like driving today, take the car for a spin. You as the parent, it's your responsibility. Yeah, of course the little boy's going to put his mama's clothes on. They do anything. They do all kinds of goofy stuff. They're going to play with dolls and stuff. But don't nurture that in them. Say, hey, that's not for little boys to do. No. Oh, y'all got quiet on me, but I'm just telling you the unvarnished truth here. This is the time. We live in an area now, in, in a time now, where the LGBT community not only wants to be tolerated, they want to be given preference. And no, no marvel. In the days of Lot, the homosexual agenda was so strong, they were trying to beat the doors down to sleep with those two angels. We're living in that day where the LGBT community is trying to shove it down our throats. And it's no accident that every character on every TV show, there's at least one person from the LGBTQ whatever community can't even keep them all straight. In every movie, in every television show. Thank you. Why is this happening, you wonder? It's because you're being conditioned. You're being conditioned to think, oh, this is normal. Everybody's doing it. No, they're not. The mainstream media is controlled by Satan himself. There's a narrative that they're preaching to you. Man, I feel God this morning. Thank you, Jesus, Holy Ghost. Give me the strength and the boldness to proclaim this. The, the devil is, pre is giving you a narrative every day, every day. Woe to them that call evil good and call good evil. And that's what they're doing. They're saying right is wrong and wrong is right. 2 Timothy 3. I preached on this. You got your Bible handy? I'm going to get back up there. 2 Timothy chapter 3. I preached on this last summer.
2 Timothy 3, verse 1. But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents. Hello. Unthankful, unholy, unforgiving, slanders without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power from such turn away. Does that sound familiar? We got the inmates running the asylum. Let's go to the next slide. Signs in nature, signs in society. What about spiritual signs? Here's where we're really going to get uncomfortable. 1 Timothy 4.1. Now the Spirit speaks expressly that in the latter times, that's where we are. Do you know the Bible refers to the latter times? Because we would know when we're there. That's how we identify them. In the latter times, the Spirit speaks expressly that some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. And we have it. There's an explosion of cultic activity. Explosion of demonic doctrines. Mainline denominations now are ordaining homosexuals and performing gay marriages. They're denying the Lord. I read recently where the Pope, listen to me, now, I believe Catholicism is a cult. I'll probably really get in trouble for this. They lump Catholicism in with Christianity whenever those statistics are. But the, the Catholic Church teaches a false gospel. Now, there, are there people saved in the Catholic Church? Yes, and they're saved in spite of it, not because of it. You don't confess your sins to a priest. You don't pray to Mary. <laughs> You're not saved by keeping, uh, taking communion. Or being baptized or sprinkled or whatever, taking the wafer. I feel some resistance in that this morning, but that's okay. These are false doctrines. Mormonism. I got I, somehow I ended up with some girl on my Facebook friends list. I just accept almost anybody, unless it's a beautiful woman who says she's a model and single, because you know that's a hacker when you get those. And I, somehow I ended up, this girl, she's a Mormon, and she's always preaching the Mormon, Mormon gospel, and I'm just praying somehow, some way, God will give me a word to speak to there. Jehovah's Witnesses, they're not his witnesses. The Bible says if you have not the Son, you've got not the Father. The time will come, First Timothy, 2 Timothy 4, the time will come, and we're here now, that they will no longer endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. Notice there's no lack of spirituality here. But there's a, a, a vacuum of truth. There's, no, there's void of truth. And this is rampant in the charismatic and the Pentecostal churches. They're rife with this word of faith stuff, health and wealth, gospel. And they draw large crowds and people say, well, if you've only got enough faith, you can live your best life now. You can have all the money. You, can, you, you just sow your money into my ministry and, and, and all good things will happen to you. Jesus said, if you follow me, you'll have trouble. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Sister Judy, am I going to have a job tomorrow? I don't know. <laughs> Revelation 3. This is the church of Laodicea. And some believe, now I believe there are seven actual churches in the book of Revelation. That there are seven literal churches. There's a rule of biblical inter interpretation, that is, when the plain sense of Scripture, when the literal sense of Scripture makes plain sense, seek no other sense, lest you end up with nonsense. 
When the literal sense of Scripture makes plain sense, seek no other sense, lest you end up with nonsense. But there are some really smart people who believe that those seven churches, because of the number seven, that they are representative also of church ages. And if that be the case, the Laodicean church would be the last day's church. Some see an overlap between Philadelphia and Laodicea. And notice what Jesus says about this church. He says, So then, because you're lukewarm and either cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Now, let me paraphrase this for you. This is in the HHV, Henry Handy Version. Jesus said, Y'all church folk make me sick. I would hate to think that God would look down on me and my church and say, Man, these guys, they just... It's like a glass of lukewarm milk on a hot summer day. I wanted to give you a, a word picture in your mind. Daniel 12, 9. Now, Daniel, God showed Daniel all this stuff. Now, if you got a roast in the crock pot and you got to go, I'm not going to be mad at you, but I'm going to get through this because God told me to preach this, and I'm going to preach it. Daniel 12, 9. God gave Daniel a vision of all the empires of, of the world all over time. Remember Nebuchadnezzar, he had a dream, and he, he couldn't even remember the dream. And all of the astrologers of the, uh, Babylonian, the Babylonian astrologers, the Chaldeans, they were not able to interpret the dream, but, but that was a real challenge because she said, I need you to tell me what I dreamed. Nebuchadnezzar forgot what he dreamed about. You ever done that? Had such a great dream, you woke up and you thought, man, what was I dreaming about? That was so good. And he dreamed a dream, and he said, I can't figure out what it is. And he said, if you can't tell me, I'm going to kill you. Talk about pressure. That'll separate the men from the boys. And, and Daniel said, just give me a minute. And I'll pray to God. And God gave Daniel the interpretation. And you know what God showed Daniel? He showed Daniel all the empires of the world. Nebuchadnezzar was, was the, the emperor of the world at that time. He was the world emperor. But he said, after you are going to come the Medes and the Persians. And the Greeks are going to come. You know, Daniel predicted Alexander the Great. Daniel predicted the Roman Empire that would come. You know what else Daniel predicted? He predicted the Antichrist and his temple. And he predicted... The Son of God, the Ancient of Days, who would come, and of his kingdom there would be no end. And Daniel got all this revelation. He said, God, I can't make any sense of it. He's like most of us when we hear Bible prophecy. He, and God says, Daniel, go your way. Don't worry about it, Daniel. You're not going to be able to figure it out until the time of the end. The words are sealed up until the time of the end. You know why we know more about Bible prophecy than, than they did in the early church? It's because we've lived long enough to We're in the last days. And we're understanding more. Let's go to the next slide. <clears throat> Political signs. Matthew 24, 6. You shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you be not troubled. All these things must come to pass, for the end is not yet. This is talking about local skirmishes. Okay? Small-scale things. There have all, and here's one of the arguments. People say, well, there's always been wars. There's always, people have always fought. Yeah, they have. Jesus said that. He said, the end is not yet. He says, but... Nation is going to rise against nation. Now, the Greek word here is ethnos against ethnos. It's where we get our word ethnic or race from. Do you wonder, maybe, just maybe, that the politicians are doing their best to divide the whites and the blacks and the whites and the Asians? Do you think they're doing that because they're just doing it of their own volition? Or do you think maybe there's something at work behind the scenes? You know what I found? The average person in the grocery store, when I run into whites and blacks, we just love each other. You know? And I read the, I watch the news and I say, you know what? That don't represent anything 
the way I believe. I don't hate anybody. I don't hate Asians. don't hate white people. don't hate black people. I love everybody. If you're a racist, you got no, no business in the kingdom of God. The Bible says if you hate your brother, you're a murderer. And no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. And by the way, this BLM stuff, it's garbage. Listen, black lives do matter. So do white lives. So do Asian lives. All lives matter. But this BLM stuff, it's run by, it's like three ladies. They're Marxist. Go on their website and you'll see that they are devoted to the destruction of the nuclear family. Go on their website. Fact-checked it. Fact-check it. They're Marxists. They're socialists. They're anti-Semitic. Verse 7. For nation shall rise against nation. Ethnos against ethnos. Kingdom against kingdom. Now, from what I've read, the early rabbinic scholars and writers, they believed that prior to the coming of Messiah, kingdom against kingdom is a, a, is a Hebrew idiom for a world war. So World War I was a bellwether. It was a, it was a, a harbinger. World War I started this thing clicking. You might have heard of this thing called the Balfour Accord. And it made way for the Jews to return to their land. World War II gave sympathy for the Jewish people because of the Holocaust. They don't teach about the Holocaust in schools, in, in a lot of schools anymore. Now, I know if you've got a Christian teacher, they do. Listen, six million Jews were killed by the Nazis. And Hitler killed under the name of, of Christ. That's why a lot of Jewish people are skeptical of us. That's why a lot of our Jewish friends don't want to hear because when they think of Israel, uh, Christians, they think about Hitler, who was inspired by Luther. And that's another conversation for another time. Ezekiel 38 speaks of a war. It's, you may have heard of it, the Gog and Magog War. Gog is not a proper name. It's a title like czar or pharaoh or Caesar or emperor, okay? Here's what you need to know about the Gog-Magog War. It is yet to come, and the major players are on the world stage right now. The major players in the Gog-Magog War are Russia, Turkey, and Iran. Iran is one of the greatest enemies to Israel. Do you know how, now, years ago, Iran was pro-West, but now it's, Islamic, radical Islamic controlled. You know how they refer to us? The great Satan. Now, where are the outcries against uh, American hate? Where are the outcries against anti-Semitism? You won't hear it. You know why? Because it's a one-way narrative controlled by the devil. This war is yet to come. Israel if you go directly north from Jerusalem, is, is Moscow. Moscow. <clears throat> we'll talk more about that. Deserves its own sermon. Okay, let's let's go on. Da Daniel nine. Now in Daniel nine, Daniel, God predicted through Daniel. Y you really need to read this on your own. I, I don't have time to go through all of this this morning. Um, I am going to read it. <laughs> Lord said, "Read it." I'm going to read it. <laughs> Daniel's after Ezekiel, by the way, if you're looking, trying to find it in your Bible. All right, thank you. I hope you speak for all. 
See, you're not going to get this anywhere else unless you go to a Bible-believing church. You're not going to hear it on these. You're not. You're not going to hear it on Christian television unless it's a, uh, somebody that's, you know, following the Lord. And most of them are on the money trail. Thank God for the good ones, like David Jeremiah and Charles Stanley. And, and others. thank God for these men. I could go on and on. All right, Daniel 9. <clears throat> I told you this is probably the most important sermon I've ever preached, and I feel it with all my heart. Daniel 9. The angel Gabriel comes to, uh, to Daniel, and he says in verse 24, Seventy weeks are determined upon your people. Who is his people? Who's Daniel's people? The Jews. Seventy weeks are determined upon your people and upon the holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, and to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, and to seal up the vision and prophesy, prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Know therefore and understand. These words are key. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Rebuild Jerusalem. You can find that in Ezra chapter 2, I think. To restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the Messiah, the prince, in the Hebrews, Mashiach Nagid. It's Christ, Jesus. Shall be seven weeks or seven weeks of years and three score in two weeks. That's um, 60, 62. So a total of 69 weeks of years, 483 years, I think is what it comes out to be. So from the time the decree was made and allowing the children of Israel to come back and rebuild not just the, 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 the temple, but rebuild the wall, the city, the wall in the city, because there's four different decrees. This one uh, is about rebuilding the wall in the city, in the street. It would be 483 years, and then Jesus Christ would come, and guess what? He did. You ever wonder why Herod was asking the wise men where the Christ child should be born so he could kill him. You know why? Because he was familiar with what Daniel said. You ever wonder why the fear went through the, throughout the hills of Judea when, when Elizabeth and uh, Zechariah had that miracle baby boy, John the Baptist, and then cousin Jesus was born just a few weeks later, a few months later? You know why there was such... Uh, excitement and fear and wonder is because they knew from the writings of the prophets that Messiah would come. That's why there were masses, throngs of people following Jesus in his earthly ministry. And that's why they believed his claims right up until the end and they realized he was going to die and they, they couldn't understand that. We're still in Daniel. Notice it says in troublesome times. Have you ever read the book of Ezra or Nehemiah? Did they have a hard time building that, rebuilding the walls? Yeah. After verse 26, after three score and two weeks, this is after the full 69 weeks, shall Messiah be cut off. Daniel predicted that the Messiah would die. Notice this, but not for himself. Jesus did not die for himself. He didn't die for his own sin. He didn't have any. You should have said amen right there. He died for the people. And the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. That happened in 70 A.D. Jesus predicted that the temple would be destroyed. And that's what happened. Titus destroyed it in 70 A.D. And the end thereof shall be a flood, and the end of war desolations are determined. Verse 27 speaks of the Antichrist. 
This is the prince. This is the other prince, not the Messiah, but the, the false Messiah. Verse 27, he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. That, how many days are in a week? Seven, but this is a week of years. Seven years, Antichrist will confirm a covenant. So here's another reason we know, listen to me. Here's another reason we know that the rapture comes before the, the second coming. Second coming, you can know what is going to happen. Count down seven years from when that treaty is signed. Or three and a half years from when he goes in the temple. That's the abomination of desolation. Count it down. That's, how, that's another, yet another proof. Daniel predicted that. And, and we know that Israel has to be back in the land. There will be a third temple rebuilt. Okay? Israel came back into the land 1948. In May of 1948. That was, that was like a huge billboard for Bible prophecy right there. And a lot of people started making predictions that time and they, and they failed because they didn't understand that a generation don't mean 40 years always in the Bible okay 1967 was the six-day war Jerusalem now in 1948 there was the war of independence there and and Israel was divided into two you had Israel on the the west side and then the eastern part was Transjordan okay but in 1967 in the six-day war Jerusalem regained Excuse me, Israel gained control of Jerusalem, which was an important thing because there has to be a temple rebuilt. And some people say, well, uh, it takes years to rebuild a temple. Not so. Not so. Uh, do some research. From the, there's a group called the Temple Institute. They've already trained the priests how to do the animal sacrifices and all that stuff. That temple could be up and running in months. All right, let's go to the next slide. Technological signs. Daniel 12, 4. But you, Daniel, now I'm reading this out of the New Living Translation. But you, Daniel, keep this prophecy a secret. Seal up the book until the time of the end. When many will rush here and there. The King James says go to and fro. Will rush here and there and knowledge will increase. One of the signs of the end times is there will be uh, an increase. At, uh, a large increase. An exponential. That's what I was looking for. An exponential increase in technology. Think about it. Within about 100 years of time, we went from horseback to cars to airplanes to interstellar travel. Think about it. Electricity. <laughs> you wonder what John thought on the Isle of Patmos when God put him in the time machine? And here's a man that had never seen electricity or a computer or the Internet or any of that stuff. That must have been overwhelming. Okay. This is a sign of the times, all right? Revelation 11, 9. And for three and a half days, all people, tribes, languages, and nations. That's a nice little way of saying the whole world. The whole world will stare at their bodies, the bodies of the two witnesses, but no one will be able to bury them. In the, in the, in the tribulation period, there's two witnesses, the Bible says, and they're going to be killed. And John said that the whole world would watch it. How are they going to watch it? On CNN, on Fox News on your phone, on your computer. John predicted all of that before electricity was even invented, that the whole world would see. Uh, Matthew 24 speaks of the abomination of desolation. That's when the Antichrist comes into that third temple, the tribulation temple, and he offers up, an idol, he places an idol in the holy place. And Jesus said, when you see the abomination of desolation, who's able to go into the holy of holies? Only the high priest, right? So how is the whole world going to see it? On CNN, on MSNBC, and uh, all the fake news outlets, and, and, uh, and so on and so forth. Revelation 13, 16. 
This speaks of the Antichrist. And he causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads, and that no man might buy or sell, save that he had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. So again, worldwide. And folks, the technology is already in place. If I tell you not to Google something while you're sitting here, you're going to do it anyway. Just, just for kicks and giggles, in your own time, look up Amazon One. Amazon One is a palm scan technology. It reads the veins in your, in your arm. And we were reading an article last night that it's not only about, it says it's not only about buying and selling, but it's about identity. Okay. This COVID stuff is paving the way for these vaccine passports. Okay. Now listen, the devil always comes in through subterfuge. He's always a Trojan horse. He doesn't give you his game up front. Okay. I'm not saying the vaccine is the mark of the beast. That's not. It doesn't happen until the tribulation period, and we're still here, so we're not in the tribulation period. Amen. We've not been left behind. <laughs> okay? But all of this is pushing toward a one-world government. Okay? That's why they hated Trump so bad. He wasn't a globalist. That's why they hated him. You notice Joe Biden gets a free pass. I mean, he can say the dumbest stuff, and the media will never call him out on it. He's bulletproof. And I'm not saying Trump was a righteous man. I, I think he needs Christ. I think he's lost. But he stood in the way of the globalist, right? <clears throat> and guess what? This cancel culture stuff, they'll eventually come for you and me. There'll come a time when we won't be able to preach on Facebook and YouTube because they're all owned by the same handful of people. No man might sell. It's all headed that way, folks. And it'll, be, and it'll happen so innocently, it'll all be done in the name of peace and safety. We'll get rid of cash, right? Because cash spreads germs. It'll spread the next virus, Corona Part 2 or Part 3, whatever it'll be. It'll cut down on drugs, sale of drugs, right? Because most drug transactions are cash-based, right? It'll be done in, the, in some way of subterfuge. But it's all leading this, this way to where all of your information will be in one place. All of your health information... Look, this stuff's a violation of the HIPAA Act, stuff people are doing now. Crazy. Crazy. Have you had a vaccine? Have you had hemorrhoids? <laughs> it's no different. And again, I'm not pro or anti. I'm not trying to discourage anybody from making the best choice. I'm showing you where this is headed so that when it happens, you'll know. That the Bible is the truth. Can we go to the next slide? This is the super sign right here. This is it. The nation of Israel. If you have not yet watched the video I taught several weeks ago on the Abrahamic covenant, do yourself a favor and watch it. Because I don't have time to go through all of it. But I will go through some of it. Genesis 12. Now up until Genesis um, the, got the creation of the world and the flood of Noah, the table of nations. But then when you get to Genesis 12, the focus is all on one man and his family. From Genesis 12 to the rest of the book, it's all on this one man and his family. In Genesis 12, verse 1, Now the Lord had said unto Abram, or Abram in Hebrew, 
I used to try to pronounce everything just right, and I'm just gonna, not going to try it all the time. Like Baal, you know, I, I got on this kick where I was saying Baal instead of Baal, but just call him Baal. He don't care. He's a dead God anyway. <clears throat> he won't know. <laughs> Abram, you know the word Abram in Hebrew means exalted father. Here's a guy with no kids. His name is Exalted Father. And God said to him, Get out of your country and from your kindred and from your father's house unto a land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless thee, and I will make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless them that bless you, curse him that curses you, and in you shall all the families of the earth be blessed. This would ultimately be fulfilled in Messiah. Okay? Let's look at the promise really quick. God said, I will make of you a great nation. He did. Through this one man... When God told him that, he was 75 years old, but it wasn't until he was 100 years old, when he was past being, he was sterile, to use medical terminology, he was sterile, and, in, and God allowed him to have a son from a woman who was barren. Think about that. A 100-year-old woman and a, a man and a 90-year-old woman having a baby. Anybody want to volunteer to be the next Abraham and Sarah? Mm. Moving on. I will make of you a great nation. God, from this barren woman and this sterile man, made one of the greatest nations on the face of the earth. Nearly 7 million people in Israel now. You know Israel is about the size of the state of New Jersey? Surrounded by a bunch of devils that hate them. Why do they survive? Because God made a promise to a man 4,500 years ago. And you know what else God said to Abraham? He said, I'll make your name great. Has God done that? He sure has. You know why? Because three of the world's largest religions, Christianity, Judaism, and Islam, they all revere Abraham. Now, the Muslims acknowledge Christ. The Jews don't. But, but Abraham is in all three of their religions, and he is a, 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 a revered figure. So God made his name great. Did God's prediction come to pass? Yep. I hope you're seeing a pattern here that when God predicts something, it happens. Okay, um, Jeremiah 20. Now think about the plight of the Jewish people. These folks are among the most oppressed of any people on the face of the earth. They, they committed idolatry against God. Jeremiah the prophet told them, he said, God is going to... Now the Assyrians took the northern tribes. Remember that the kingdom was divided. The kingdom was divided into the, the, the ten northern tribes and then Judah in the south. Remember that from the reading of the Bible. I'm telling you right now, America is following the same type and pattern that Israel did. Israel came into the land with great might and power. It, it, David, under David's reign, he was a godly king. David expanded the borders. He protected the borders. He eradicated the enemies. In Solomon's reign, it was a reign of peace and prosperity. But it was a time of compromise. And then after him was a divided kingdom. America came into this, this, this place, right? And we became a great nation. Amen. America became a great nation. I still think it's the greatest place in the world. With all of our warts and all. Pray, God, please. Uh, I, I can't say God bless America because I don't see how he can. But I pray that he would. That he turn us back to him in repentance. But guess what? Our peace and our prosperity have led us into idolatry and to immorality. Read Romans chapter 1. And it shows you the descent of of a nation and God abandons them God gave them over to this God gave them over to that finally God gives them over to a reprobate mind and that's where we are and we are just like Israel we're a divided kingdom man are we ever 
Every time there's an election, it's almost split down the middle. Right? Regardless of who wins or who loses, the, king, the kingdom, and Jesus said, a house that is divided cannot stand. So God told through the prophet Jeremiah, said, Israel, you're going to, uh, Judah is going to be carried away captive. But the false prophet said, no, don't listen to Jeremiah. We're okay. We've got the temple. They thought the temple of God was like a rabbit's foot. It was going to keep them a good luck charm. And God will never let anything bad happen to us because we've got the temple. America is the same way. We think, oh, God won't judge us. We, we're God's people. No, we're not. God never made a, pro a covenant with America. But here's the deal. They were carried away captivity, and Jeremiah said, you're going to go into captivity for 70 years. Guess how long Israel was in captivity in Babylon? <laughs> well, golly. But they came back to the land. No nation has ever been carried out of their homeland and brought back. I mean, completely wiped out and come back. But God has done it not only once, twice. He's going to, now twice. Luke 21. And they shall fall by the edge of the sword and shall be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the Gentiles, times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. That happened in 70 A.D. In 70 A.D., the Romans conquered Israel, Emperor Titus. The temple was destroyed. Not one stone was left. Uh, Titus bulldozed everything to get the gold out of the temple. Everything just like Jesus predicted. And they were carried away captive, just like God predicted they would, Jesus Christ predicted. Now, we get to some, some very complicated stuff. And for sake of time, I'm not going to read all of these. But I'm going to give you the reference in case somebody's listening on CD or on the radio transmitter. Ezekiel 20, verses 33 through 38. Ezekiel 22, verses 17 through 22. And Ezekiel 36, verses 22 and 24. They all speak of a regathering for judgment. A regathering in unbelief. The state of Israel right now is not following Jehovah. They're, the majority of Israelites are secular. And they're not anything. Just agnostic, agnostic whatever. They're not anything. But they are gathered together according to God's word. They were not assimilated into the other cultures. Every other nation, when they're carried away captive, they assimilate. But the Jews maintain their, their distinctiveness. If you go into Antarctica, a Jew is a Jew. You go into uh, Africa, and you're going to find that the Jews are still acting like Jews. Interesting story. Last year, right before COVID, my daughter went to Israel. Probably the trip of a lifetime now, looking back. I don't know if she'll ever get that opportunity again, or any, or any of us for that matter. Because Israel, by the way, they, they require the vaccine passport to go there. Uh, but anyway, my daughter was in Israel. Now keep in mind, they're a secular state. She went into a motel, or their hotel, and uh, she spent her first Sabbath day in Israel. When is the Sabbath day? It's not Sunday. It's Friday night sundown to Saturday sundown. Okay, Shabbat in Hebrew. And she spends her first Shabbat in Israel. And she gets in the elevator. They're staying like on the 10th floor of a hotel. And she gets in the elevator and all the light, all the buttons are pushed in the elevator. You've seen people do that. They play a prank, you know. And she went to touch 
the buttons to turn off the, the numbers, and a man in the elevator said, no, no, no touch, Shabbat elevator. On the Sabbath day, because the Jews, religious leaders, have determined that pushing a button on the Sabbath day is work, on the Sabbath day, if you ride an elevator in the Shabbat elevator, you will stop at every floor. <laughs> so here she is stopping at the second floor, third floor, fourth floor. <laughs> and what do you do if you forget something? you got to go back to the car. <laughs> but on the Shabbat, now listen, these are people that are not worshiping God, but they're still keeping their distinctiveness. On the Sabbath day in Jerusalem, do you know most of the people rely on public transportation in Israel? They ride the bus or the train, depending on where they go. On the Sabbath day, there is no public transit system on the Sabbath day. Did you know that? Some of you are like, I'm going to Google that. <laughs> Why is that significant? Because Jesus said on, on the Olivet Discourse, remember what he said to those Jews when they asked him about the signs of the end? He said, Play, pray that your flight be not in the winter or on the Sabbath day. Thousands of years. Jesus predicted that they would still be observing the Sabbath, even though they're gathered in unbelief. That's a miracle. Only God. You can only, God is the only thing that accounts for these things, folks. All right. Isaiah 11, I'll give you the reference, verses 1 and 2. Speak of a second regathering in faith. Now, the first time they're gathered in unbelief. Isaiah 11 is about a gathering in faith. And it speaks about um, the millennium. And by the way, while we're busting myths, I, let me bust one for you right quick. We're still having some fun here. We're almost done, I promise. Isaiah 11 uh, it says, And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow, grow out of his roots. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. Those are the seven spirits of God you see in Revelation 2. And shall make of him a quick understanding and the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither shall reprove after the hearing of his ears. But with righteousness shall he judge the poor and reprove the, with equity from the meek of the earth. Speaking of, uh, of the Lord Jesus. In verse 6, it says... The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the kid and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together and a little child shall lead them. Now how many of you have quoted, misquoted that and said the lion lays down beside the lamb? It says that the lamb, excuse me, that the, uh, the wolf lays down with the lamb. You learned something today, didn't you? And it, but anyway, but it speaks of a second regathering. This is the millennium. This is when Christ returns to the earth. So there's going to be a third Gathering in faith. All right, next slide. Daniel 9 presupposes a Jewish state when he predicts the seven-year agreement. Jesus affirms that. We've already covered it in Matthew 24. There will be a third temple built. We've already talked about that, so we're not going to review that. Um, 2 Thessalonians 2 speaks about the Antichrist going into this temple, the man of lawless. He's going to declare himself to be God and demand to be worshipped. Jeremiah 31, verses 35 through 7 God makes a promise through Jeremiah, and he says, Israel will always exist. Now, I'm not talking about the state of Israel, but the, the descendants of Abraham, the nation of Israel, will always exist. That's why Hitler, even though he exterminated nearly 6 million Jews, now they're nearly 7 million strong. 
because God promised that they would always exist. And now they're back in their homeland with control of Jerusalem, just waiting and watching and ready to build that third temple. And my last point, I just, I think I summarized that, sharing that, my daughter's experience. Go to the next slide, please. Last one. Now, some people will say, well, Henry, I've heard this stuff all my life. Preachers have been pre preaching this forever. And uh, look, nothing's happened. Well, guess what? The fact that you're scoffing and mocking about it is a prediction in prophecy. Second Peter 3, 5, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers. Do you know what I'm preaching to most of the world? They think it's foolishness. They think it's absolute foolishness. You, you tell most of the people in your, in your circle, unless you hang out with all Christians, you tell people you believe that Jesus Christ is coming again, they'll look at you like you got three heads. And most Christians don't believe it either. I know cause that because the way we act and the way we live. Knowing this first, there shall come scoffers walking after their own lust, saying, where is the promise of his coming? Since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Right? There's always been wars. There's always been hurricanes. There's always been all this stuff happening. There's always been bad people. There's always been compromise in the church. Yes, but Jesus said, when you see all of these things come to pass, in other words, it's not just isolated, but now here's a word for you, a convergence in one lifetime. In one lifetime, we see an apostate church. We see technology for Antichrist. We see the signs in the weather. We see the signs in the po in political uh, structure. And not just in America, but all over the world, there's unrest. There's anti-Semitism everywhere you turn. It's like Netanyahu said. He said, if Israel laid down, excuse me, Hamas laid down their weapons, there'd be no fighting. And if Israel laid down their weapons, there'd be no Israel. But the news media, you watch the news media, and what they're going to show you is little Palestinian babies being pulled out of the rubble. They won't show you anything about Israel being defending their self. Their army is called the IDF, the Israeli Defense Force. They're not on the offensive, folks. They're on the defensive. And we're supposed to be their ally. They are the apple of God's eye. Back to Abraham's covenant, God said, I'll bless those that bless him. I'll curse them that curse you. Can you imagine telling one of our allies that they don't have the right to defend themselves? That would be like some fools lobbing a rocket over here in Peachland and some other country said, you better stand down. It's no different, is it? Woe to them that call evil good and call good evil. So the fact that it has, you've been hearing that all your life has no bearing on anything. There's a convergence. And remember, just like Noah, Noah preached for how long? A hundred something years? The flood's coming, the flood's coming, the flood's coming. And I'm sure 50 years went by, and people said, oh, that old fool, he's been saying that all his life. And Noah's out there building that massive structure. 80 years come to pass. And they're like, look at that fool, he's out there building a boat. It ain't never rained. Hey, it's a sunny day in Palestine. 100 years go by. Look at that old fool, he's still out there building that boat. It ain't never rained. They've been saying that my whole life, and there ain't been a drop of rain. And then one day, God says it's time to get in the ark. And the Bible says that Noah didn't go hunting for the animals. He didn't go bear hunting. He didn't go rounding up zebras and camels. Read the Genesis narrative. The Bible says that all the animals made their way into the ark. That's because animals are smarter than people sometimes. Sometimes. 
they listened to the Lord, and we're doing our own thing. And they all got on there, and here is the ark of safety, the place of protection. And God says for seven more days he waited. That's the long-suffering of God. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But one day, the door was shut. God shut Noah in, the Bible says. And I can only imagine the frantic screams and wails and hollering as the fountains of the deep were opened up. And they perished. You say, well, some Christians say, I don't want to hear about this stuff. I don't want to hear about this stuff. You know what? This is your hope. I don't know about you, but the more and more I live in this world, the more I realize this is not my home. The values of Sodom are not my values. My leaders don't represent me anymore. They tax me, but they don't represent me. I don't care what policy, what party they're with. This world is not my home. This is a hope for you. This is not something you should be fearful of. This is something you should be happy. What should be my response? Should I bury my head in the sand? Should I load up on Xanax? Drink myself into a stupor? Why do you think the world is trying so desperately to medicate? So desperately, by any means possible. It's because instinctively they know there's a feeling of hopelessness in the world. They're looking for answers. And by golly, the church better tell them the truth. The Bible says be ready to give an answer to every man for the hope that lies within you. So likewise, Jesus said, when you see these things come to pass, know that the kingdom of God is near at hand. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass away until all be fulfilled. He says, lift up your heads for your redemption draws near. Would you stand? There's two important questions you need to have answered in your heart right now. If you were to die today, and, and we never know, we all plan to have a long deathbed experience and to plan everything out. Death may come suddenly. Death may come like a thief in the night. I've seen young people just drop dead of a heart attack. I've seen young people just never wake up. Like go to bed and never wake up the next day. If you were to die today, where would you spend eternity? If Jesus Christ were to come today, what would happen to you? Would you be taken with the Lord? Or would you be left behind to suffer the horrors of the tribulation period? I didn't go into the tribulation today. I was just talking about the signs of the times. Tribulation is going to be the worst period of time imaginable. Imagine, it'll be awful, horrendous. Most of the world's population exterminated during the tribulation period. What would happen if the trumpet was sounded a Christian? Let me ask you this. If Christ would return today, would you be proud or would you be ashamed before him at his coming? The unbeliever, the window of time, the window of opportunity is narrowing. Options are narrowing. The window of time is closing. Come to Christ before it's too late. Believer, don't leave here in despair. I want this to give you an urgency, number one, for holiness. John said, every man that hath this hope in him purifies himself, even as Christ is pure. And let it motivate you to share Jesus Christ with your unsaved friends, because the time is short. This altar is open. Mm -hmm.